Inverse Genius Episode 13, Shore Leave. In this special episode, Don interviews his father all about what life was like in the Navy in the 50s around the Korean War. A great piece of family history and country history as well. Inverse Genius is sponsored by our incredible Patreons at patreon.com slash obg. Head over there and everything you do supports the whole Inverse Genius umbrella of shows. And we appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Donald G. Dennis. Uh, this is uh, November 23rd, 2016, and I'm here with my dad, Donald Baxter Dennis. So say hello. We'll start out with uh, the Navy career. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about my dad in the Navy. So, uh, when did you join the Navy? January the second, 1951. And, and why did you choose to go into the armed forces and the Navy in particular? Uh, we, it was during the Korean War, and we thought we were all going to be drafted. Okay. So uh, I was attending school at Central State in Edmond, and my roommate, Phil Kirtley, and I decided we wanted to be in the Navy. So we joined and then went home, told my parents. My dad came unglued, but accepted it. And three days later, we went to boot camp in Great Lakes, uh, Illinois. So first of all, did did this cut your semester in half? Like, did you have to leave school? Or no, we... Uh, uh, weren't, we weren't making too good of grades anyway, so we talked the teachers into passing all of us. There was 150 joined at the same time out of Central. At that time, the enrollment was about 1,500, but we told them we were going to go fight, fight the war, and they passed us, and we went down to Oklahoma City and joined some in the Air Force and some in the Navy. So that recruiter got a bonus that year is what yeah, I Yeah, mean. I, I don't know how that works. So we get on the train. Well, how, how did you pick the Navy? Because you're from Blanchard, Oklahoma, oh, and there's yeah. not a lot of ocean near you. Uh, I don't know it, unless it, my buddy Phil talked me into joining the Navy so we could see the world, I guess. Oh. We didn't want to... Uh, do the Air Force or the Army, so we we got in the Navy. And had any of your brothers entered service before you? My brother, Alf, was uh, in the Navy uh, CB during World War II, and uh, that was probably one of the factors that talked me into uh, joining the, the Navy. I wanted to, really wanted to be a CB like he was. And... Uh, so, uh, and then my next brother, Jack, was in the Army and uh, so did the f- French uh, battles and was in the Army when they joined up with the Russians. And he never 
never did talk about it very much. This was in World War II? World War II. Yeah. Okay. So I was sophomore in college at Central State. And so you get on the train. We get on the train. We were supposed to be going to San Diego, but the train went north to Great Lakes. We arrived there uh, without any warm clothes because we were told to bring a light jacket to get through the desert on the train ride to San Diego. But we ended, got off the train in uh, Great Lakes and uh, it was probably five, six degrees below zero and they gave us a blanket for, and we that was our only warmth for three days. And finally, we got our Navy issued. What time of year was this? January the third. Wow. It was cold. So was it a, a? Did they mistake where you were supposed to be going, or did they just send you to the wrong place? Or I, uh, you know, that was so active uh, with the Korean War that they didn't know. I mean, it, it just ended up that San Diego, San Diego was full, and they had room for us at Great Lakes, and uh, so we did the uh, training there, and uh, then they sent us to Norfolk, Virginia, where I boarded the first ship in my life, the USS Macon. And talking about a kid from Blanchard saying something that big was a real eye-opener. And what kind of vessel was the making? A heavy cruiser uh, with eight-inch guns. Uh, the ship was uh, 40 feet wide and a, uh, I forget the length of it. It was probably 1,200 feet right under a battleship. When I graduated Great Lakes, I told him I wanted to be a CB, and and the guy that was counseling me said, "No, uh, you you've got too high grades to waste your time driving a tractor." So, <laughs> if only he knew where you were. Yeah. From. <laughs> well, he knew, and he knew why probably because I probably told him. My second one was choice was be a parachute rigger for the, the Navy Air Force. And uh, for some reason I wanted to do that. And uh, he said, no, that's too dangerous. You have to jump once a year. So he uh, says they got opening for uh, electronics, uh, fire control, uh technician in Norfolk and I want to put you in that. So my buddy Phil and I both went to that same division. And what is electronics fire control? At the time our responsibility was to control all the radar that controlled the guns. You know, my workstation was a uh, on the starboard side controlling five inch guns. And the, the radar was just uh, after World War II was just in this engine. So uh, the fire control technician was 
and charged the radars that controlled the... Radar technology was fairly common by that point? Uh, somewhat, uh, Donald, not uh, not real common. I, you know, it's just like the TV. They had tubes this big, and tube would burn out, and you'd replace it, and uh, uh, it was... Uh, you just checked the tubes, and... So it was tube technology, and it was about the size of a medium drink at McDonald's or something. Yeah. the tube you'd pop out and replace. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you... I had that one little uh, workstation that I spent my day in checking and cleaning. And uh, if we uh, had fire, uh, you know, if we did practice gunnery, well, we would lock in on on the target. They uh, would go aboard the ship, and we were on there about a week and uh, had, had a World War II first-class petty officer call us all together and ask if anybody had been to college. And so Phil and I raised our hands. And, <laughs> and they sent us, he says, you two go to the, going to be in the mess hall duty for six weeks. Wait, so, so he's looking for someone from college to send well, you that was he. He was just a bit of World War II reservist that had been called in, and uh, uh, he. That uh, was his. I don't know uh, why he used that, but I can very well remember uh, him saying that. So, Phil and I go to mess cook and serving food as they go through the line and cleaning and washing dishes and carrying out the garbage and stuff, and we. We did two meals, and then the next day, uh, we were very lucky we got to go into the chief petty officer's uh, quarters, and we assisted uh, their cook as uh, as cooks and serving. I think at the time, they probably had 47 chief petty officers. Uh, Those are primarily enlisted guys that worked their way up to be a chief and so that's uh, uh, we, we, we were assigned that duty for six weeks plus we still had our other workstation duties and, and uh, the, the ship had been in mothballs and it was just now coming out from World War II it was commissioned at the very end of World War II and had a lot of work to be done uh, we had to do and and uh, so um, we got underway and Phil and I was assistant cook in the chief's office and talking about the uh, we went on a cruise to the Mediterranean so we took all the food aboard and took off and I was seasick from most of the first three or four weeks, and uh, oh, being a being an assistant chef and seasick yeah. at the same time. That's time a- well, I, I didn't throw up. I was just dizzy and all that, and but uh, we uh, adapted to the uh, chief petty officer's uh, quarters quite well because it had good food and. Uh, 
uh, we could, uh, uh, as we went on leave, or well, we could come in and eat a midnight snack in and, and the chief's office, petty officer's quarters, and that was good duty. And to go back to the, uh, after we'd been out to sea for 30 days, we the uh, eggs were getting to the very bottom, and... <laughs> And uh, I was uh, cooked that morning, and Phil was waiting tables. And uh, the uh, every other egg I cracked was rotten. And uh, so I, uh, when the chief that was in charge of security came in, uh, he want, he wanted his uh, two soft-boiled eggs just really soft. And I told Phil, says, you better tell him uh, that the eggs are bad. And uh, Phil went out and told him, he says, God damn it, I told you I wanted uh, two soft-boiled eggs. Go get them. So Phil comes in and orders them. I cook them and takes them out. I was looking as he stuck a fork into the egg and it just spewed all over him. <laughs> And every chief petty officer in the mess hall laughed at him, and nothing else was said. But uh, did, did you get in trouble for that? No, I don't think we did. Uh, I think we we had warned him, and and so uh, he may have talked to uh, the head, the cook that was ahead. He was a neat old boy from Philadelphia. Pappy Devine, and he he was World War II reservist, called back up, and he was just really neat. Almost become a cook because it was so much fun in the chief quarters to, to stay in that end of it. But after we served our time on that, well, uh, during uh, that period, we were in the Mediterranean, stopped at Gibraltar, as soon as I got on the land uh, at Gibraltar, I uh, got over my seasickness and never had any problem again. I think it was 28, 29 days. To start, got into the Mediterranean. We were there for six months. Finished out that tour, and then uh, they sent me to Washington, D.C. to fire control technician school. And that, that's where I learned, supposedly, electronics of the time. Supposedly? Yeah. And uh, they, that uh, was a whole year in D.C. <clears throat> and we just, uh, I, Phil didn't get to go. I, that was when we finally split ways. He, uh, he stayed, uh, stayed aboard the ship till about a year and then he got out but uh, after a year in D.C. I went back aboard ship and had my own station battle station and uh, we of course we worked on the radar on you know on all all over the ship if they had a problem uh, what was it like returning to the ship after having been gone for a year oh you you Probably, I was probably glad to get back onto it because uh, uh, 
we we had uh, had a trip planned to South uh, South America with uh, probably three hundred and fifty uh, people from uh, students from Annapolis, the midshipmen, and I uh, came down with uh, rheumatic, rheumatic fever and spent. Uh, about five weeks in the hospital over in, in Norfolk and missed that cruise. And when it came back, well, then we went to back to the Mediterranean again for six months. What are the symptoms of rheumatic fever? I, I had rheumatic fever when I was uh, 10 years old, mm-hmm. 10 or 11. Uh, woke up one morning on the farm and just had terrible pain terrible terrible pain and um, the doctor at that time diagnosed it and uh, I was having uh, in the Navy it was in the shoulder and arm and uh, I I don't remember how they uh, tested for it but uh, so they put me in the hospital over there in, in uh, Virginia, and uh, uh, it a lot of time it affects the heart. So they uh, they check it pretty close. Made me stay in bed and night and day. Supposedly you don't even get up to go to the bathroom. But I'd sneak in when they turn the lights out, but. Uh, but we went on another med cruise, and uh, uh, during during the first cruise, I was uh, assigned shore patrol duty, and I don't know how I got on the list, but maybe because of the poached eggs, I don't know. But because uh, he was in charge of those, my first stand on shore patrol duty was uh, in Naples, and uh, they, uh, the primary function of the shore patrol duty is make sure the sailors had their hats on correctly, and in the Navy, when you go into a port, they publish a list of places that's out of bounds that you can't go to. And so... Uh, like, like places of ill repute or yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I had to go <clears throat> to some of those places and uh, and if some at the time, if there was uh, gay places where they had... Uh, if you caught a sailor in there, well, you take his name and serial number and turn it in because if he was caught three times in one of those places, well, he would be kicked out of the Navy. But uh, that first night uh, was eye-opener from a kid from Blanchard also, houses of ill repute. You walk in there, some of your buddies up there with with ten dollars or twenty dollars and 
you told them they had to get out. Well, sometimes you just turned your back and walked off. But uh, uh, then, you know, you had various duties. And uh, it was uh, several times on that cruise I was on shore patrol duty. And, and then uh, one Armed Forces Day, we tied up to Dock 42 in New York City. Uh, wasn't going to have shore patrol duty there. But uh, first night, we went to, about 20 of us went to a baseball game, and some kid in our division was from New York City, so he took us to his favorite bar, and we closed at about 3 o'clock and got back to the ship about 4.30, and on my bunk was a note from my buddy Phil that his grandfather had died and he was taking leave and going back to Perry, Oklahoma. And I had to take his place shore patrol duty the next Armed Forces Day. And I had to be at, at on the quarter deck at uh, 5.30. And so here I was. Fortunately, I hadn't drank too much, but some of the guys had. And so I slept for 30 minutes, and they woke me up, and we meet over the quarter deck dressed in our whites, and we uh, go to <clears throat> some police station, and they split us up, and you go. We, we I don't remember who my partner was, but we... Uh, we work in twos, and I was assigned 42nd to 52nd uh, on uh, uh, what's the famous street in New York City, uh, uh, where Radio City is. But that was our oh, right, the Radio our City beat. Music Hall. Yeah, stuff. that was where our beat was. So you just walk up and down and tell the sailors. Huh? On Broadway? Yeah. Yeah, probably that was it. yeah, and tell the sailors to square their hat or if you know, he could he couldn't do much more. So we did that for a couple of hours, then we got went inside a theater, got on the back row and slept for an hour and a half, <laughs> and then we had to report back to the substation and. They picked me uh, to go to, um, at the time they had an area in New York City where all the gays hung out, and I didn't know, uh, you know, I, 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 wasn't, I was familiar with them, but not much. And so we walk into this first restaurant, all we had was a billy club, no guns, and had an SP on it here, and, here again, if you found sailors there, you wrote them up. This walked in, and this one old gay guy came up to me and said, Man, you're really tender. And it says, You would be nice. And you want to hit him over the head, but you, you just try to be real firm. And But we got out of there, and we, we raided about eight of those clubs that night. Which is, do you and one other person? Huh? With just you and one of them? No, we had an officer. 
And I think the officer, I mean, whether he carried a gun or not, I, I doubt it. it would be a junior officer and two guys. And some of those bars were quite large, but uh, uh, that was quite an experience. And uh, uh, we never, we, you know, got back to the ship about midnight that night. And uh, uh, that was something I never, never f- would forget. But, Were there many brawls during that evening? Fighting? No, not there. Uh, some a year later or so, we were in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, the ship was anchored out in the bay, and second night in port, well, I had shore patrol duty. You could uh, you could get rum and coke for ten cents. They were started lining up Navy guys on this side, Marine guys over here. Oh. And we had a lieutenant that was just out of Annapolis, and, and I can distinctly remember telling him that we need to split this up. He said, oh, God, look at them. They're having a lot of fun, really. And I, I, I said, you're going to be sorry. He said, well, we can't do anything. About an hour and a half later, all shit broke loose. The tables started flying, the chairs started flying. Here was probably four uh, shore patrol guys, maybe five, and there's probably 250 because there was several ships and there's a big patio. And boy, that fight just kept on going and I crawled under a table because nothing you could do. And uh, finally, uh, the police, uh, for the base come and they broke it up and took took several to the hospital and uh, finally we had a, all the marines on a, a lifeboat on the way back to the ship and uh, we thought we had them all but we got ready to go in where there was one marine left and I think that they those little Liberty boats hold 22 people or so. They were, this one Marine got on this boat and shit, they were going to throw him overboard. You could see the sharks swimming and uh, uh, all, all we could do as shore patrol guys is save his life. But anyway, we got back. That was a big experience. That that was really about it on the shore patrol duty. You don't, you know. Uh, Were the Marines from the Macon or from? Yeah, Macon. Like they they have a detachment of Marines for uh, the, the security. You know, they have a big brig, and uh, they were uh, really. Uh, uh, most of them were pretty nice guys, and uh, but boy, they. They got drunk that night, and it was was bad. But uh, I I would get uh, uh, shore patrol probably uh, just about once in every port. When you sometimes you were there two nights or three days, and sometimes a week. But uh, uh, Naples was the home port, so we were in there quite a bit. 
So was that um, a position because you were trusted or because you were being punished? You know, I, I, I don't know. I thought about that some since you said we were going to do this. I physically was in good shape because I'd been playing football and was probably uh, Phil was the same size and, and uh, sometimes we'd be on duty and I, you know, I don't remember whether I asked for it because it was one way of getting off the ship and you, you'd get liberty every other night and this would, uh, you know, I got to see parts of New York that I never would have seen if I hadn't done it. And Sounds like the it. Same way with Naples and and then uh, Guantanamo Bay, there wasn't anything else to see but the base. And this was back before, um, you know, Castro and the overthrow of Cuba, right? Yeah, Castro was probably in, uh, because I had a friend, uh, Tom Moses that was stationed down there and his family lived off base. He had a wife and two girls. And matter of fact, they captured Tom and he was in the Navy and took him up in the mountains. But Castro was starting to come forward, I think. But, you know, the our port and our base is still there. The same I'm sure it's, they've upgraded it a bunch with this thing, uh, this uh, prison down there now. So uh, that was after fire control school. D.C. was quite an experience too. It was the influx of every every country girl that wanted to leave home could come up and get a job. They started, that's what, the start of big government. Oh, uh, yeah, that was one of the girls uh, from my hometown that went up there. And uh, Oh, he's got a picture here. Yeah. Okay. And who's in this picture? That's uh, Phil Kirtley and myself. Uh, and that, that's my buddy Phil. His wife lives right over here but uh, uh, so you know every friend I had uh, came to DC to visit me my mother and George and Ruth Ann and then uh, my brother uh, R.F. and his wife uh, came up because I think that's his co uh, Jerry's cousin there and uh, so we had lots of visitors up in New York. But anyway, uh, it, being uh, in D.C., I got to stand uh, honor guard for Harry Truman turning the president over to Dwight D. Eisenhower. So I was in their inaugural parade, and it was cold. We about froze our de to death, but it, we stood right on the side of the street going up the hill to the Capitol building. And uh, uh, it was a good uh, good tour of duty up there in the school. Uh, it was uh, really, uh, you had to, had to work and study some, but it was, it was still fun. We used to go to the 
USO at, at uh, on Sunday night for to dances and met uh, Harry Truman three different times. He he'd come over and Margaret would play the piano, so it was fun. That was you know an interesting part of the Navy, and it was a break in the middle of my tour aboard ship. So when I go back, I board ship I knew a lot more than I did before I went to school but uh, it, it was it was fun duty so you went to school again for what for gunnery just for tra- radar training That's, that was my first training on telling you how started out with basic electricity and work it all the way up to uh the sophisticated radar systems that they had in, in those days. Were there so you were able to repair if you needed to? Yep. Yep. Probably the the biggest repair that uh, I did was we had uh, on starboard and port side that have the same units and we we could we did the uh, parallax adjustment when we were in port if there was a bright moon you would lock on to the edge of that and set your guns and everything on uh, on that system and we had to adjust those sometimes it'd take several hours uh, but every port we went into, we we did the parallax adjustment. Never could get the port side to work very good, and ended up that uh, they had a mechanical box sitting up on the wall, uh, about the size of a small suitcase, and then it had a bunch of gears and stuff and. Never could get it adjusted, and one one uh, morning I got up early and went down to try to figure this out, and I ended up that they had the gears backwards on the port side. They had them set just like they did on the starboard side, but uh, they were should have been reversed, and I was able that was the biggest thing I did for the making all the time I was there I, I looked at that and went over and looked at the one in my room and went back I said those gears are backwards looking at the chart and that, that was uh, uh, a big deal for me and uh, we switched them and never did have any trouble after that because um, if you don't have those the parallax set right when you go out to gunnery where you probably shoot the plane down instead of the drone that they were dragging behind them did so, you do that shoot the plane down no no we the starboard side got so close to the plane that the tow plane I guess that was down in Cuba the tow plane went home. <laughs> he wasn't going to do it anymore till we got it fixed. And But uh, we finally got it worked out. It, it was okay. So. Well, all right. So did you have a girl in every port? No, didn't do it. 
We, uh, on shore patrol duty, I met one one time that was a pretty cute hooker, but uh, I was on duty, and I'm damn, when we got to Venice, she showed up over there. So they, those girls uh, just kind of followed the Sixth Fleet, and they, uh, they were cute. So, uh, but, you know, I, I, I did meet one in Holland that, uh, uh, was very serious, but I was bound determined to get my degree and, and I guess coach football. I don't, but uh, I told her when I finished college we would get married. But I think about a week before we got married, uh, she called my mother, wanted to know if, what was going on, and my mother broke the word to her. So she's a good looking gal, too. but Worked oh, in, before you or, married mom? Yeah, worked in a candy store. <laughs> but, you know, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. It was quite a quite a deal for a little farm boy from Blanchard. So, so when you uh, were in the Navy, did you have any live, you know, fire exercises? Or, I mean, no, no, the closest uh, we came to was. The Russian submarines were in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, one night, uh, all hell, uh, they was about to collide with the Russian submarine and they crammed the, the, the making in full reverse. And you're talking about jumping. You just, uh, you, just that whole ship shook so bad. And that was really the closest that we ever had any problems with it. But, you know, we did, did quite a few gunnery practice uh, down in uh, the Caribbean with that one island that, you know, that the tree huggers been fighting the last, well, it's probably been 15 years, but... We we sat there and shoot it uh, with the eight inch guns, you know, ten miles off of off of the, from the island, and we did a lot of that practice. So. Which island was it? Do you remember? Huh? Which island was it? Uh, Ger Geraldine or something. I don't know. I might be able to find it, oh, but it was a small un uninhabited island, and uh, they. Uh, accused the Navy of environmentally damaging the island. And so, but we shot it. We'd go down there quite often and, and do that. So, But that, that was about it. Well, neat. Well, I'm Donald Dennis with Don Dennis talking about uh, his time in the Navy. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.